Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Well, good morning and welcome to worship today. For those I've not had the opportunity to meet, I'm Jonathan Mikesell, one of the co-pastors here at Paoli Presbyterian, and we're really glad that you've chosen to take this summer Sunday morning to join us in worship. We have been traveling over the last several weeks since the beginning of the summer through this series, Peaks and Valleys, taking a look at some of the mountaintop and the valley experiences that we see in Scripture and recognizing how those things relate to the world in which we live, the experiences in which we live. And this morning, we are going to take a look at one of the really unique mountaintop experiences that we find in Scripture. It was an opportunity for three of Jesus' disciples to expand on their three years of time of engagement with Jesus, to see him in a truly remarkable and truly unique way. And as we begin to think about this passage in just a few minutes, I want to ask you a question. When have you experienced the presence of God in your life? When are those times when you have known without a doubt that God was near, that God was with you, that God was real? What are those experiences in your life when you can point to them and you can say, there I experienced the presence of God? I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian home and went on an annual basis to camp about this time of year, oftentimes, uh, to a church camp. And in that church camp, as happens in many church camps, the, the last night of the camp, it was usually a Monday through Friday, the camp that I attended was generally Monday through Friday. And usually Thursday night was, was always a highlight, a kind of a peak experience time. There was just something about the buildup for the week, and there was generally in the worship time that night and the, the preaching or whatever it was that was being shared with us as students, on a number of different occasions, there was just a very clear sense that God was at work. And there were opportunities for students, teenagers, to make commitments that have withstood and stood up down through their lives. There were decisions made during those weeks that have influenced lives for eternity. Many of our students have had similar kinds of experiences at winter retreats or summer camps and in other kinds of experiences. Those were times in my life where I've definitely said and seen God's hand at work. More recently, um, there have been some opportunities for some personal retreat. I, I've generally tried on a, on a regular basis to take a few hours, sometimes a part of a day, sometimes a couple of days that when the opportunity arises to get outside of normal um, everyday activities and spend some extra time reading the Bible, praying, journaling, doing things of that nature. And there have been a number of times in those experiences where I've recognized God is with me. God is present. And those encouraging times, those ways in which God has been speaking and has been present. Sometimes we experience God's presence in those would be sort of highlight kinds of experiences of our lives. At other times, we can look back and recognize the presence of God through much more trying circumstances, through circumstances and situations that were not nearly as uplifting as the ones that I just recounted. 
I know for me, I've, I've shared this story before, but um, for those that have not heard it, when I was, uh, just before I came on staff here at Paoli Presbyterian Church, I went through a period of time, I had lost my position, was, was ended in, in Willow Grove, and it was about two years of part-time positions and going back and forth and not really sure where God was leading and what was happening. And there were any number of times during those two years when my wife Jen and I could point and say, there's God. God is present. God would provide the part-time job at just the right time, or God would bring someone into our lives who would help us in some way and would get us through that time. And it was very, very clear during those difficult, anguishing periods of our life that God was present, that God was with us, that God was guiding, and God was directing us. When have you experienced the presence of of God in your life? What were those times when your faith was confirmed in very real and evident activity of God? Well, three of Jesus' disciples had a very unique experience of God's work in their life and had an opportunity to have some, their, their, their understanding of God just really cemented in their minds. And it might seem Kind of strange for us to think about three of the disciples having such a unique experience with God. I mean, after all, they were in the midst of three years of spending day after day with Jesus. Day after day with the Son of God, with the God of the universe. What would it mean for them to have these, this sort of special experience, this sort of unique opportunity to recognize the reality of Jesus in their world and Jesus in their lives? Well, we're going to read this passage in Matthew chapter 17. This mountain of revelation, this mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus made himself known to them in a very unique and a very different kind of way. So we're going to read here this morning from Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is a remarkable description of an astounding event, one which no doubt impacted these three disciples for the rest of their lives. They had the opportunity to participate in one of the most remarkable and unique experiences ever recorded in human history. And this morning, we're going to take a few moments to sort of unpack this, there's really a lot going on here in those eight verses, a lot of ways in which God was at work. And as we do that, 
we're going to see some of the, the, the lessons that they learned and some of the ways that, that we can see experiencing the presence of God can guide us, can direct us, can help to confirm our faith, and can help us to gain greater understanding of the truths and the reality of God. In the introduction of this passage, we find a description that often fits these kinds of unique and, and, and powerful encounters with God. Right in the beginning, it says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, it isn't always the case that we experience God in this kind of an environment, but there is something, particularly about some of these, these highlight experiences with God, that oftentimes it occurs in those places and those times when we are up on the mountain, at least proverbially speaking. There's times when we're away from the normal grind of everyday life, the noise and the distractions that are all around us. Sometimes God invites us to those opportunities where he can speak to us in the still, quiet voice of God. That's what was happening here. Jesus took these three disciples away from their normal activities, from their normal, uh, the normal things that would be on their calendar, took them up a mountain where they could be alone. And that experience would include three incredible encounters with God in some truly unique ways. The first of those incredible encounters with God began by seeing Jesus, it says here, transfigured before them. I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time, other than reading this passage, that I used the word transfigured. It's probably not one that's at the front of most of our vocabularies or words that we would use in our everyday uh, course of conversation. We might begin to wonder, what does it even mean that Jesus was transfigured? Well, Matthew gives us a little bit of description there. He says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Okay, that, that gives us a little more of a description of, of what it looked like to be transfigured, but what did that mean? What was it, just because his face shone in this way and his clothes were a dazzling white, what does that point to? What is the significance of Jesus's appearance? And the clearest scriptural parallel to this description takes us way back to the early parts of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, the second book in the Bible, chapter 34, verse 29. This part of, of Exodus is, is the place just after Moses has received the Ten Commandments. He was up on the mountain with God, received the Ten Commandments, brought them down to the people, and when he got down to the valley below, he realized that during his time up on the mountain with God, the people had turned away from God. They had sinned. They had created this, this golden calf. And in his anger, Moses took those two tablets and he threw them onto the ground and they were smashed into many, many different pieces. And after that time, Moses then went back up to the mountain of God and had time again with God where God gave to him for a second time these tablets on which were laid out the directive that God had for his people, the law that was given. And in Exodus 34, we see Moses for the second time coming down off of that mountain. And this is the description. It says, Moses came down from Mount Sinai. And as he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses 
had been in the presence of God. He had been speaking with God in a way that we can only begin to imagine. As the song that Rob sang earlier for us, we can only really imagine what that must be like. Moses had that opportunity in his life here on this earth. And when he came down from that mountain, it was such an incredible and unique experience that the, the glory of God, the holiness and the radiance of God was literally reflected on his face to such a degree that the people were afraid of him, that they began to turn away. And, and the scripture tells us that he actually had to put a covering over his face at a certain time so that the people wouldn't be afraid and, and run in the other direction. They knew that Moses had been in the presence of God because God, it, it couldn't be covered, it couldn't be hidden. And in Jesus, in this experience on this mountain with the disciples, Jesus likewise was radiating the very presence and greatness of God. But there's a fundamental difference between Moses reflecting like a mirror and Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't reflecting that glory Jesus was exhibiting that glory. Jesus was God and is God. He was reflecting it as a sign to the disciples that he truly is God of the universe. God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son are one and the same. He wasn't just a mirror reflecting God. He was God. And in a very real and tangible and unmistakable way, those three disciples were given the message this man that you've been with for three years, who's been teaching you and sharing you and bringing you along in your relationship with God, he is God. There is no mistaking that fact. The reality was clear. That wasn't the end of their experience. Just as quickly as Jesus was transfigured, a second incredible act occurred. Suddenly, standing there talking with Jesus were none other than Moses and Elijah. Now again, I don't know how Peter, James, and John knew that it was Moses and Elijah. You know, we kind of can quickly read over that, but Moses and Elijah hadn't been on the earth for hundreds of years. They didn't have a picture in their, in their Rolodex, in their phone, where they could say, that's what Moses looks like, and that's what Elijah looked like. But somehow they knew this was Moses and Elijah standing there talking with Jesus. What was the significance of Moses and Elijah? Well, you remember back to your Old Testament history, Moses and Elijah were two of the leading figures of the Old Testament. It was under Moses' leadership that the people of God were led out of Egypt, received the law, as we mentioned a few moments ago, outlining how God would relate to his people for the coming centuries. Moses on the mountain represented the law. And then Elijah, Elijah was one of the leading prophets of the day. Those individuals who spoke on God's behalf were intermediaries between the word of God and the people of Israel. In having the law and the prophets before them, these disciples were seeing, they were seeing all of God's instruction and God's direction and God's way of speaking to the people of Israel down through their history. And standing there with them, standing there talking to them, was none other than Jesus in standing there talking with the law and the prophets, with Moses and Elijah, there was an unmistakable message given to these disciples that Jesus was right in line with those great leaders of ancient Israel. And that because of that, he had a significant place to play in the history of their world. Now, 
Peter quickly recognized the significance of this situation, at least from a, a good Jewish perspective. They needed to remember this time, Peter thought. They needed to set up three dwellings or tents that would mark the experience and provide a tangible point of remembering this experience that they were having. Peter was trying to make sense of something that was very bizarre, very out of the ordinary, very difficult to understand and grasp. And unfortunately, as he did on a number of different occasions, Peter, in his haste, got it a bit wrong. You see, Peter looked at this situation and he saw Moses, he saw Elijah, and he saw Jesus. And he said, these are three great leaders of our people. These are three great ways to look at God. And we need to see all three of them and remember what's happening. But he was missing the point. Yes, Jesus was in line with the teachings of the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus was in line with the ways that God had worked down through the centuries with the, his, his nation of Israel. But Jesus wasn't just one among those prophets. Jesus stood above them. Jesus was not just one among many. Jesus was the Son of God. And in staying that they should put three temples, three tabernacles rather, three dwellings, Peter was making the mistake of lumping all three of them together. And in doing so, he was putting a cap on the greatness of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just one among others. Jesus was and is the Son of God. And this experience that these disciples were, going, were having was going to highlight for them the greatness of who Jesus was. Once more, before anything could happen with Peter beginning this building project, in rapid succession we read again, while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. No doubt remembering back to Jesus' baptism, the disciples would have recognized the voice of their heavenly Father, of God. They had seen Jesus change materially in an amazing way. They had witnessed him in the presence of these great Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. And now to erase any doubt about where Jesus, uh, his position amongst all of them, they were hearing the voice of God, the voice of God affirming Jesus' divinity, that Jesus was and is God, and recognizing the greatness of the work that Jesus was doing. In case there had been any question before, Jesus was now unmistakably affirmed as the divine God of the universe. Now the disciples' response highlights that they understood what was happening. It says there, when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear. They were no longer coming up with great ideas of how to commemorate what they were doing. They were no longer coming up with their own way of, of looking at things. They recognized that they were on holy ground. And that the only appropriate response to recognizing the presence of God was to respond in fear. We see this kind of response over and over again in Scripture. It's beyond our wildest comprehension to understand the holiness and the righteousness of God. Its greatness surpasses anything we can begin to imagine. And there's no taking it for granted. Our response, if we were to see the very presence of God the way that these disciples saw it, was to respond much like they did. But that wasn't the end of the story. 
After such an awesome experience, what could possibly come next? How would they possibly go back to any semblance of a normal life, or even should they? Between the glorious appearing of Jesus and the words of the Father, there could be no question that Jesus was divine. The disciples were understandably afraid. But then, then they received the loving care of their mentor and their friend Jesus, who reached out to them and said, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Jesus invited his disciples into this awesome experience, but he also knew that they couldn't remain on this mountaintop forever. They needed to take what they had heard and they needed to experience and allow it to impact their lives back in the real world, back in the regular day-to-day life. They had to get back to their regular world. But what would they take from this experience? What was it that they would learn from being in the presence of God that would be so much greater than what they had experienced before? And how was Jesus using this experience to change their lives? I want to suggest to us as we conclude this morning, there's probably at least two big ways in which Jesus was teaching them lessons and lessons that I think we can learn as we have those opportunities to experience the presence of God. The first significant part of their experience was that in this experience of the presence of God, they received a clarification of God's truth. Jesus was not merely one among many greats. Jesus was and is God in human form. And gaining this reality about Jesus was not just something that would be compartmentalized into a place on a mountain. It was something that they would bring back into their everyday lives. And similarly, we are invited to the presence of God. We're invited to to receive communication from God, not most likely not on a mountaintop as great as this experience of these three disciples, but God invites us to experience his presence, whether it's in reading scripture, whether it's in prayer and in worshiping God together, whether it's in God's presence with us in the activities of our lives. But in the midst of those times of experiencing God's presence, when God communicates and God makes clear his truth, we may recognize and understand in a clearer way the truth that God has. You see, we live in a world that tries to influence us in so many different ways, tries to pull us in so many different directions. And it can become very easy for us to have our thinking and our way of understanding guided by all sorts of other influences and all sorts of other impacts. God wants for us to make sure that the truth of our lives is bound up in a relationship with God, a relationship with God that we see expounded in Scripture and that we experience in worship and in prayer and in these experiences with God. We may not think it's possible to experience God's presence We might not think it's possible for God to perform miracles of healing diseases or relieving addictions. We might not think it's possible for God to really be at work changing the lives of men and women and boys and girls. But it's in the presence of God. It's in seeing God at work in our lives and our world, living out the truths of Scripture, that we recognize God's truth. Fairly early on in my pastoral ministry, I had a a series of encounters that helped to give me a clear sense of God's call and God's leading in my life. I was a a good student in college and seminary, and 
I was affirmed by people who were looking at my life as I was going through that training, and they were encouraging me to continue along. And as probably many people who are fresh out of school, I thought that this was going to be very easy. You know, you've got all this information that you've learned. You've got God at work uh, among you. You've got this affirmation of people all around you. And you're going to get out of school. You're going to go into this church. And, and God's just going to do incredible things right away. The church is going to grow. People's lives are going to be changed. And just like that, incredible, incredible things are going to happen. Well, you can probably imagine what, a, what happened after the first few weeks, months, years of being in pastoral ministry. It, it didn't work like that. It didn't happen with just the snap of the finger like that, right? Sure, people were impacted by God's work in our congregation, but it certainly wasn't explosive growth. People didn't flock to our church. What, what I seemed to, to think was an easy task was anything but. And in addition to that, I, I began to recognize in my own personality, my own abilities, my own uh, way of living out the calling that God had placed on my life, something that was very different from sort of the ideal of the, the personality type and, and the skill set that I thought that pastors should have when they were getting into pastoral ministry. It took several years, and in fact, God is still at work in my life helping me to, to understand this today, to recognize that God had called me in and uniquely gifted me for particular parts of that ministry experience, and that I needed to be faithful to the places where God was leading, where God was opening doors, and in the ways that God had called me to lead. That, that didn't mean, that wasn't an excuse not to keep working hard. It wasn't an excuse to keep refining those skills and those abilities. But it was a recognition that it was God who was ultimately the one who would make a difference in that community, in that church, and in me, frankly. And much like the disciples needed an experience where God had to tweak and set right and clarify and make sure they clearly understood God's truth, there was a refinement that happened in my experience as, as God spoke to my heart and mind through those experiences, through the people that I interacted with, through reading scripture and understanding the ways that God was at work. The disciples had a very unique encounter with God on that mountain of transfiguration. And in doing so, they were able to see and to understand God's truth in a new and fresh way, a way that helped to clarify the truth of God. And God invites us to make sure that the refinement of our lives is coming from godly truth. Godly truth laid out in Scripture. Godly truth laid out in the ways that God is at work in our lives and in our world. The disciples needed that kind of refinement in their lives. But they also needed a second thing on that mountain. They needed an experience that would cement their faith and God's faithfulness in their lives. You see, they were about to go through some of the darkest hours and darkest days of their lives as their beloved friend and mentor was crucified and killed on a cross. They would be tasked with taking the message of hope and forgiveness to the world. None of that was possible in their own strength. They needed an experience like this with God to be reminded of God's greatness and to solidify and to, to set firm their faith in Almighty God. We all face challenges and difficulties in our lives. And it's in those moments we need the confidence that God is at work, that God is who he says he is, and that that confidence can give us hope and strength. Peter outlines this, how this experience gave them confidence in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, when he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we have been eyewitnesses of his majesty, 
For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. That experience on the mountain of transfiguration was, was a way to cement the faith of these followers of Jesus Christ in a way that was going to become very, very essential when they were going through those trying times that would soon come. And there are times where we have the opportunity to cement our faith, to cement the, very, the, the, the ways that we see God at work in our lives through these kinds of experiences in our lives. When I, was, when I was getting ready to graduate from seminary, just a little bit prior to what I described to you a little earlier, I had a meeting with a denominational leader, and I'll never forget the question that he asked me during that meeting. He said, how will you know for sure that it is God who has called you to this place of ministry? And I remember thinking, that seems like a strange, strange question. What, what kind of question is that? And he went on to say, there's going to come a time of difficulty in ministry when you're going to need confidence that it is God who has placed you in your current assignment. Again, as a, as a young pastor just out of seminary, I, I didn't, that didn't make any sense to me in that moment. But years later, when I was going through those times of challenges in ministry, when things didn't go the way I expected, when the church didn't grow like I thought it would, when people didn't respond in exactly the way that I thought that they would, when the normal pressures of life seemed to get in the way of the church's progress, I needed to remember that it was God who had called me to that church it was God who was at work in that community. That wasn't an excuse to hide from the work that was needed, but it was an encouragement, an encouragement that the ultimate results were in the hands of God. A God who was at work, a God who was inviting me into his presence, a God who was inviting you into his presence this day. God desires for each one of us to experience the presence of an almighty God. And he invites us that this day. No, we're not going to probably have the same kind of unique experience that these three disciples had. And no, it isn't up to us to get to make that happen with God. It's God who is at work. But there are some, some times and there are some ways that we can make ourselves available to God, that we can put aside that noise that happens all around us. Whether it's for a few minutes, for a few hours, for a few days of setting aside in quiet, in putting some, a marker on our calendars and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're going to speak to me in the midst of this, but I'm available. I'm listening. I want to follow in the path that you have for me. I want to experience whatever it is that you want to experience. I want for you to guide and direct me. And in the midst of that, as we look to scripture, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time quietly reflecting, we might be surprised the ways that God opens our hearts and our minds to experience his presence in ways to help to clarify our understanding of truth and in ways to help to cement and secure our realization of the fact that God loves us, that God invites us into a relationship with himself, and that we are, as we receive that gift, children of God. On that mountain, of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John had a truly unique experience. They had a remarkable opportunity to see Jesus before them in ways that were unmistakable. God wants to speak to our hearts 
in our lives this day to guide us, to lead us, and to clarify us in his truth, to direct us in the paths before us. Lord God, we are grateful today for that reminder. We're grateful today for the reminder that you do love us, that you are with us, that you are inviting us into a relationship with the God of the universe. Not a God who's distant and out there somewhere, but a God who is at work in the very details of our lives. And Lord God, we recognize that we live in a world that seeks to distract us from that in so many different ways. There's so much noise around us, so many things that would pull us, sometimes in good ways and many times in bad ways, away from our focus on you. May you help each one of us this day to recognize your hand at work, to have eyes to see and ears to hear that you are inviting us to walk with you and talk with you and to know that you are our God. Lord, we are grateful for that gift and that invitation. And I pray for each person in this congregation, each person who's worshiping online, each person who is in your presence this day would know without a doubt that you are with them, that you are guiding, that you are directing. Lord, may our lives receive that presence, that gift, and may they reflect into our world the hope and the peace that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're grateful this day, and we're also grateful that we are invited to pray together as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.